This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. And welcome to episode 447 of the Yellow Report. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund keeping the pressure on Bayern in the title race with a 6-0 win against VfL Wolfsburg in a home match. And we will preview Saturday's late game against Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is also a home game. So, looking forward to that one. For all that and more, join me, Matthias Zug and Lars Pollmann. First, hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hey Stefan, I am doing well. Uh, how are you? I could not be better. I'm uh, enjoying Philadelphia sunshine. It is warm. You can walk around in flip-flops. I'm loving it. And also here, pretty sure he's not wearing flip-flops right now. It's Lars Feuermann. <laughs> Hello, Lars. How are you? Hello, Stefan. I do not own flip-flops. Do you own sandals like the true no. German that you are? No. <laughs> um, I'm glad you're back on the show, Lars. Um I hear you have something to promote if you want to do that now. Uh, why don't you go ahead since uh, you have uh, joined the Book Author Club? Uh, yeah, I wrote a book. <laughs> you can uh, order on Amazon. Uh, all details on my Twitter profile. Let's go on with the show, Stefan. All right. Wow. Well, uh, that's the great promotion we just know from German people. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a, it was a 6 nothing win. Um, Matthias, I'll go to you first. Wolfsburg played like a team that didn't matter. Uh, Borussia Dortmund did play relatively well. Uh, and uh, I did not really have much time to really watch the game because I was working at the time. So, um, But I had it on my phone sort of in the corner and uh, it did not really look like Dortmund were really troubled at any point in this game. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, ish. Uh, there was obviously the one major breakaway chance for Wolfsburg, one-on-one uh, -on -one with Kobe that Kobe saved, where I still question whether or not that may have been offside. Um, but other than that, it was, on the one hand, I wasn't surprised, because obviously in the preview pod, I had mentioned the high XG numbers that Wolfsburg had been conceding in the weeks prior, but hadn't conceded many goals. Well, now that that basically the chickens came home to roost, you know, they're playing against a team that can score a lot of goals. In fact, Borussia Dortmund, no team since the start of the calendar year 2023 in all five top European leagues has scored more goals than Dortmund, who are scoring three per match on average, which is just insane. Um, defensively, I was a bit... I mean, I was a little surprised by Wolfsburg. Also, in an attacking sense, they just... They played like I'm kind of expecting maybe... Uh, not to jinx things, but to like Gladbach next week in terms of... Or in the next match in terms of nothing to play for. Wolfsburg absolutely have something to play for. Gladbach have literally nothing to play for except trying to get to the summer break. And that's how Wolfsburg played. And Niko Kovac, you could tell during the match... 
And then in the post-match uh, press conference, he was definitely, uh, let's just say, somewhat frustrated <laughs> by the way his team didn't show up. I mean, Dortmund just cut through them like a hot knife through butter again and again and again. And Niko Kovac even said, we're lucky that it was only six scored against us. And that's even, that's excluding the penalty. Um, and and I, I join his assessment in that uh, Dortmund, if they would have been even more efficient, probably should have scored eight or nine on the day. However, for me, the one big takeaway, statistically, I looked at it, uh, shots on target percentage against Bochum, Dortmund had 31% on target. Against Wolfsburg, it was 53% on target. And roughly the same amount of shots. It was 19 versus 22, 23 the week before. So um, that is a huge difference maker for Dortmund right there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the uh, one nothing was a really nice looping header by Air Diemi, as uh, the uh, I think international BVB Twitter account put it. Um, and of course, I think most of the goals were pretty much Dortmund just ripping Wolfsburg to shreds on the counter attack, as you just said. Um, Lars, do you have an explanation for uh, why Dortmund were this successful? Why Wolfsburg afforded them this much space on the break? time and time again? Uh, Wolfsburg have the fastest centre-half in the league in Mickey van der Feen. Um, Sebastian Bono is also a pretty good athlete. And I think they kind of overrated their ability to uh, cover a lot of spaces in behind. I think it's also a recipe for disaster for opponents of Dortmund at the moment to play uh, a back three or back five, just because it's very difficult to contain uh, both Adeyemi and Malen as, you know, those half-strikers, uh, wide forwards, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and and Wolfsburg kind of saw that that didn't work uh, and n never bothered to make any adjustments. So it, it definitely contributed to, to a... Uh, Fun game for, for neutrals, I guess. Um, obviously very fun for Dortmund fans, but, um, for the five or six Wolfsburg fans in existence, uh, must have been reasonably frustrating to see something being exposed in like 25 or 30 minutes and them just not bothering to change anything. So, or not necessarily, uh, change things soon enough for it to have any sort of impact on the game. So. Yeah, we had a bit of a switch at uh, the fullback positions with Riasson playing left back and uh, Wolf playing right back because I think Gerio did make the squad, but uh, since he was sort of doubtful, uh, maybe Tessic didn't want to risk him from the beginning. Uh, Lars, uh, how did you see that change uh, impact Dortmund's play for the better or worse? I mean, obviously Riasson had the assist for the first goal. Making the switch work out in Dortmund's favor, I suppose. But ultimately, I don't think you can make the, the argument that, uh, either Riasson or Wolf were the deciding factor in the game they won 6-0. So, uh, it's quite conceivable that Guerrero would have had an even bigger attacking impact just because of his playing profile. But obviously, whenever you uh, have the opportunity to rest an important player ahead of the final stretch of the season, and it works out. Uh, no complaints, I suppose. Yeah. 
I don't really know how much more I have on this game other than that it was really fun. Um, Matthias, how annoying is it that, <laughs> in a way, the Jude Bellingham goal, I think it was the 4 nothing where he just uh, took aim from distance and uh, Castile sort of pumped it to the crossbar and then you had this wicked spin and it went back into the net. And there was this funny replay of... Uh, <laughs> A boy being in the stands with his grandfather, and his grandfather had already sort of face palmed <laughs> and didn't even see the ball going in, and then was surprised to see his uh, grandson celebrate. Um, but how annoying is it that these kind of, I'd say, lucky bounces happen uh, in home games, but somehow not on the road, where they arguably are more of a necess necessity for Dortmund? Well, clearly it's the lack of uh, good use of VAR. Uh, that makes all the difference. Uh, no, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things. There is a psychological uh, proven fact that teams that play at home uh, again, uh, in front of actual crowds, uh, so that obviously dis discounts Hoffenheim and Wolfsburg, but someone like Borussia Dortmund, that that gives them a push. Now, equally, also, when things aren't going well, that can actually lead to more problems. That's why teams sometimes that struggle do better away from home than at home. Whereas Dortmund right now, they're just flying high in the second half of the season. And so it pushes them further and further. I thought that was an interesting goal. Unlucky for the keeper, of course. Uh, he didn't make a great save, um, but the it was a just reward for Bellingham. He had another great match and it was, uh, they just let him come and shoot. I mean, I was watching him like, did they not watch him ever play? And it would have been nicer if it would have just gone in straight off the bat from his shot. But this way, it kind of fit to, I would say, more to Wolfsburg's day than Dortmund's. Dortmund really didn't benefit from much luck in that sense. Uh, Adeyemi's penalty miss kind of underlined that one. But uh, it, it it summed up Wolfsburg in a scene perfectly for the entire match. Uh, there There is one other thing I do want to point out. Uh, you know, previously, as you know, Stefan, I like to sometimes take a look at how often teams cross in, in matches. And Dortmund against Bochum had 30-plus crosses. Against Wolfsburg, they only had 15. And the one match was a one-all frustrating draw and this was a 6-0 victory so and and arguably with Riasson and you know with Wolf you have players on there more likely to want to cross uh than play through the middle which we would have with Guerrero so I think that underlines again the attacking approach from Dortmund that's just simply works yeah Lars do you think that uh Adeyemi and, and Marlon uh together with Alaire, is the front three going forward uh, for the, say, medium term, meaning next season, maybe the season after? Or do you think uh, that Dortmund will uh, find different players to put in this position? Because right now, at least for me personally, I don't really see uh, how it's going to change if, if both are fit and healthy to go. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily see a reason why you want, would want to change anything about the the starting three, if you like. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that they don't really have like for like replacements uh, on the bench. I mean, not even taking into account that Jamie Bino Gittens is out for the rest of the season and presumably <clears throat> somewhat into the summer. Um, I think that they really 
kind of like a, a pace option off the bench if they play both Adeyemi and Marlin from the start. So that's something that perhaps you would look at. Obviously, they also signed Julian Duranville in, in uh, January and that was kind of a transfer they otherwise would have made in the summer. So maybe he starts playing a role early next season. But yeah, I mean, it works. So there's no reason to make any uh, changes. I think we can definitely expect Alea to uh, improve just physically, which is completely understandable after surviving cancer. Um, I think uh, having the summer off after whatever international games he has with Ivory Coast um, after the season, you know, having a break, but also having some time to spend in the gym, getting a bit stronger, especially in the upper body, um, because I feel like he gets pushed around a bit in, in aerial duels sometimes. Um, and yeah, just Alea getting really back into complete shape and, and rhythm that should help Dortmund. He's already quite important in laying off and being an, a, a target option, if you like. But I think there's definitely more to come just in terms of scoring output. I think he's now scored five league goals, which is a respectable, uh, number given the circumstances, but obviously the starting striker for Dortmund and Alea has basically been a starting striker for months now, uh, is, will ultimately be expected to score more. And I think that's, that's also something that's quite reasonably expected of Alea. So ultimately those three, that's pretty much how you would, uh, draw up, um, your, your starting attacking lineup because they, especially the two wingers, um, kind of interchangeable. Obviously they've kind of, uh, exploded onto the scene this season after switching sides, um, with especially Adeyemi being much more comfortable on the left. I think Mahal is a bit more uh, versatile in terms of being comfortable on both sides. Who did Adeyemi dust before he crossed it over to Alea for the 2-0 again? Bono. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a, a centre-half of 195 or so centimetres, so it's, it's not a fair fight. Uh, as it were, but uh, just the the start stop ability of Adeyemi. I, I I've made a couple of tweets over the last few weeks, but I think uh, if you put Adeyemi in the NFL scouting combine, he looks like a very good wide receiver. Obviously, probably a bit uh, on the small side because football players or, or soccer players, as it were, are not too muscular in comparison. But just the explosion is is so evident and and quite quite remarkable when you compare Adeyemi to other professional soccer players. Uh, it doesn't really look like a fair contest. Yeah, which is why it hurt so much when he had this assist against Hertha Berlin to Daniel Malen and uh, tore his uh, hamstring or, or thigh or calf. I'm not quite sure what it was uh, in, in, in that action because uh, he is so lethal and I wonder uh, where he would be um, if it weren't for that uh, injury, that was uh, yeah very annoying and uh, at a very uh, yeah terrible uh, <laughs> time for for Dortmund because I think uh, with Adiemi maybe um you have a better game away to Chelsea, maybe you have a better game away to Bayern, etc. etc. But uh, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I think those were the first Adiemi chance in the Westfalen Stadion. And uh, that was, I think, after he missed his penalty and uh, then was subbed out. And uh, yeah, in the post-game interviews, Adiemi was not very happy because he, of course, had the chance to score a hat-trick 
um, but did not uh, last. I did see you on Twitter saying that uh, you would have uh, preferred Emrejan to take that to to uh, you know remain in rhythm and not uh, you know go hat trick hunting, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I, I just don't really like that. Obviously, uh, it might just be anecdotal because on uh, Saturday, uh, Ilkay Gundogan had missed a penalty to make it three goals for Man City. And, and they almost dropped points because of that, or, or at least after that. And, and then Adiemi, who's not Dortmund's number one, number two, or number three penalty taker. Uh, I can understand it. I don't think it's necessarily a huge deal, but I just wouldn't do that if I were in charge. I would always go with my number one option, which might actually not be Emre Can. Uh, it might be Marco Reus when he's on the pitch. I think Adiemi said after the game that he asked uh, Reus to take the penalty, uh, that, that Adeyemi could take the penalty, but uh, given from, or given what we've seen over the last two and a half years, I think Emil Jan is by far their best penalty taker and should take all penalties, and uh, that's just how I would deal with those things, but obviously when it's already, I think it was at after the 5-0 or whatever, so not like it, it's a, a huge deal. Yeah. All right, uh, let's wrap up this Wolfsburg discussion and uh, maybe uh, by quickly talking about what happened uh, in Bremen because I didn't see the game, but uh, I assume you did, Matthias. Uh, <laughs> anything noteworthy to report uh, as we all try to keep the hopes up that Bayern uh, eventually stumble uh, with, I guess, now three games remaining? I mean, I didn't see the whole match because I had a more interesting match to follow, namely my son's. Um, but... It was another struggle in the first half for Bayern. I would say Bremen actually had a few, had some decent moments to do something. And then Nabri, you know, kind of uncorked it for them. Uh, XG-wise, they didn't do great. I mean, it just wasn't an overly convincing Bayern performance against Bremen. Bremen, of course, are better than Hertha. Um, and so actually played a little bit of football uh, versus what Hatta did or didn't do. But for, for yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I'm not, I'll be honest, I don't quite know what to make of this buy-on side. I mean, if they turn up and play to their full potential, they will win the Bundesliga because they will win the remaining three matches. However, um, they have two, maybe three, but I'll say two tricky matches now in front of them versus teams who have something to fight for. I mean, Schalke fighting for survival, who've played better in the last few weeks. The Freiburg match, where they played horrendously bad. They also had a lot of injuries. Um, and then they take on Leipzig, who are also inconsistent, but who need victories here in the last three matches to solidify their Champions League position, and they've kind of been better in the last few weeks. Um, so they're a little bit on the ascendancy. So those are those are the kind of the ones that I, I look out for for this Bayern side. Not quite sure. I I did read that Bayern look like they're going to be at full strength or near full strength uh, heading into the Schalke match. So I I honestly the only match realistically I could see Bayern dropping points in is against Leipzig. But unfortunately, that one is in München. Not that it matters, because Leipzig home matches, it's not quite like playing against a real football team. So uh, it's 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 a really, it's a hard one right now. But on paper, of course, Bayern should win all three. Yeah, 
so <laughs> I've only read the headline, <laughs> uh, but apparently uh, Dortmund's mayor uh, Thomas Westphal is. Uh, uh, I don't even know if this is a motivation or if it's an incentive incentive or not. It would not be for me if I were Schalke, but he said if Schalke beat Bayern or uh, I don't know get a draw out of this game, uh, they would uh, uh, you know be invited to sign Dortmund's golden book. <laughs> um, Which wouldn't be the first time, Stefan. No, I was going to say it would not be the first time. Uh, because Which you can read all about in my book. <laughs> or in mine, to be. <laughs> <laughs> in both. That best yeah. of both worlds, Stefan. Is it, is it, which, uh, what publisher is yours again? Uh, yes, Verlag. All right, because I think we also have the same publisher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think yours is Riva, isn't it? Is it? Oh, well. Um, anywho. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, read in Lars's book about it. What's it called again? Uh, Unnützes Wissen über Borussia Dortmund, which is uh, useless facts about Dortmund. Um, I should possibly mention that it's German only. So if you don't speak German, learn German. Specifically exactly. for my book. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, everyone out there who doesn't speak German uh, and needs to read Lutz's book should absolutely learn German. So go ahead. It's uh, what what better reason to learn German than that? Uh, but uh, yeah, more importantly, Lars, uh, since you also live closest to our next opponent, <laughs> uh, I'll put on. But the a little. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I I put the onus on you uh, to. Uh, I guess introduce us a little bit to that game. Uh, obviously, I can tell that uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach right now are in 10th position and as Matthias so uh, eloquently put it, have pretty much nothing to play for. Um, their away record is just one win, six draws and eight losses, uh, amounting to nine points. So uh, similarly to Dortmund, they have been uh, getting their majority of points at home. So... Yeah, but uh, I think this weekend they pulled off something that Dortmund couldn't quite do, namely beating Bochum to to nothing. So, um, yeah. At home, but it was at home. Yeah, of course it was. Um, So, Lars, what can we expect from Dortmund, from Gladbach and this game overall on Saturday? And do you think... Um, the Bayern result will make a big difference beforehand or not, assuming that they will beat Schalke quite handily. Well, starting with the last point, I don't think uh, Dortmund are in a, under any kind of illusion uh, that that Bayern are necessarily going to drop points against uh, a team battling relegation. I think, uh, just like Matthias said, the most likely avenue for Dortmund's championship is Bayern dropping points against Leipzig. Although I wouldn't discount the, the final match day at Cologne, um, just because that's going to be a very emotional affair for Cologne with uh, Jonas Hector retiring and Timo Horn leaving the club. And luckily for Dortmund, Timo Horn is not likely to get a farewell game um, in goal uh, because he's a worse goalkeeper than Marvitz Schwell, in my opinion. Um, what can we expect from Dortmund? I think uh, their home form being as it is, I don't think necessarily we have anything to worry about in that regard. I mean, they've, as far as I remember, they've only lost one home game in all competitions this season. That was uh, the, the freak result against Werder early in the year, or early in the season, rather. 
Um, the, the, the unknown is Gladbach because this season has been very much up and down from them, not necessarily in terms of results, but in terms of performances. Um, they obviously pulled off their regular win against Bayern because they seemingly are the only side that beats Bayern every year, at least once. Uh, but they've also dropped points against relegation zone teams. They've looked really lethargic and lackluster in a lot of games under Daniel Farke, whom many listeners will know we've discussed a few times as a potential option for Dortmund's head coaching position. Um, you may or may not have bigged them up a little bit at the beginning of the season as well. Yeah, because he's a, he's a good coach. Um, he doesn't necessarily fit this current Gladbach side, which is also a side that everyone knows will uh, kind of disband in the summer. I mean, Rami Benzebaini is obviously, or not necessarily obviously, but very likely coming to Dortmund. Uh, Marcus Thuram, their leading goal scorer, is also leaving the club on a free transfer. Not sure where he's going. Uh, Lars Schindel, captain, is leaving for uh, Karlsruhe in the second division because that's where he's from. And a few others are also leaving. Uh, pretty sure Manu Kone is going to be sold. Uh, a, f- a few others. So it's kind of been that kind of season for Gladbach where it was kind of apparent fairly early on that they were not necessarily going to be able to compete for European spots. And then the, the rest of the year kind of fizzled out. Um, remembering the first uh, meeting uh, ahead of the World Cup break, uh, that was possibly the high point for Gladbach outside of the Bayern game and kind of shows what they are capable of when everything works and, and the, the, the team pulled together and all that. It's just that that hasn't really happened too many other times this season. So uh, given Dortmund definitely need to win this game because I think it's uh, almost impossible to conceive Dortmund winning the championship without winning nine points from the remaining three games. Um, and given Gladbach's frailties in both results and performances, I would be quite surprised if this wasn't uh, a somewhat comprehensible Dortmund victory. Yeah, I have very little to add. Uh, obviously, uh, Borussia Dortmund have been playing really well at home, uh, not so much on the road. So, Matthias... If you look at lineup choices, uh, I obviously don't know who has tweaked something in training during the week, um, but I assume Rafael Guerrero will probably return to the starting lineup, and then I don't know who slots into right back. Uh, I assume it's Riasson, could be Wolf too. Who knows? But I think our starting eleven right now is pretty much set in stone. Otherwise, right? Overall, I'd say so. I mean, Guerrero back at left back, Riasson at right back. It'll then depend on the fitness of Schlotterbeck. Maybe maybe he'll start ahead of Hummels. I think we or, should mention how well Hummels played against yes. Wolfsburg. Yes, yeah, he made a couple of key tackles. Overall, he's been playing well in the last few weeks. Um, uh, no real no real complaints there. Even with teams who are looking to to break on the counter um, in in situations where that could have been a problem, like Frankfurt, Tezic was smart enough to keep Zula on the left and then uh, Hummels on the right. Because obviously that kind of counteracted what uh, Frankfurt were trying to do on their attacks. So th- those are really the only two changes I could possibly see. Alternatively, Holman starts 
And then Schlotterbeck comes in, you know, 60th minute, kind of get that fitness in for, for the last few and to give Hummels a break because he he's not 25. He's not 24. So th- those are the only ones I would see, you know, possibly changing. I mean, never change a winning team is true for a reason because they're in a flow. They're in a groove. Everyone's playing their role on and off the pitch, uh, also on the bench. So just keep it going. I think they're very, very focused now. And this was the Wolfsburg match, which on paper I looked at as the trickiest match. When you look at where everyone is in the table and who's playing for what in the next few weeks. Um, the, the fact that they were able to blow them away like they did, I think was a huge confidence boost. Now, the key thing is here that it doesn't lead to overconfidence because, you know, Union Berlin was a, a comfortable victory and then you had the Stuttgart situation. Then they had a great victory against Frankfurt. Then you had the Bochum situation. I would say Bochum, Stuttgart's different. Uh, Stuttgart was overconfidence. Bochum, you know, we, we already talked about that. So the key one here is to, to keep the confidence high but in check. Uh, so you don't revert back to, to those where you get a little bit sloppy in attack. Not so much in defense, but specifically in attack. Yeah, Lars, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, since you're the one working for a uh, Fußball News site. Uh, Markus Thuram, as far as I know, has a muscular injury. And uh, since he's Gladbach's top scorer with 13 goals to his name in this league campaign, is uh, you know not going to feature. And uh, also a sound player who has uh, the most assists with nine uh, is also suspended uh, after collecting his fifth booking against... Uh, Bochum. So, um, do do you think since these are one of the two biggest impact players that Gladbach have, uh, Dortmund's day is going to be even more easy? Well, the thing is that uh, Turan is actually not necessarily out, uh, looking likely, but uh, Farker I think has said something to the effect of they're still holding on hope and. <laughs> Considering that uh, Turam is off in the summer, I don't think they are necessarily going to uh, treat him too conservatively. So if he's able to go, he's probably playing. Um, I wasn't actually aware of uh, player suspension. I don't think necessarily player has, and I keep saying necessarily the entire time today, uh, been, been playing as a uh, fixed member of the starting eleven too much over the last few weeks. Um, and also Turam, I think he scored most of his goals ahead of the World Cup break. He also had a pretty good World Cup for France. But since uh, the return of the Bundesliga, I think he's at like two or three goals. So it's not like he's a massive danger man. Uh, he's one of those strikers who runs hard and cold in front of goal. And, and when he's cold, he's very cold. Um, missing a lot of chances usually. So I don't think it's... Definitely a, a, a positive for Dortmund, um, considering that they have the old Fox, uh, Lars Schindel, uh, who's always playing well in big games and the actual danger man, I would say, as we saw in the first meeting, um, is actually Jonas Hofmann, a former Dortmund player who's, uh, been thriving for Gladbach. He's, uh, on, on double digit goals again after last season. I think he had 12 last season. He's on 10 now. So also eight assists. Yeah. I mean, I think we were kind of lukewarm on Hofmann back in the day at Dortmund, but he's 
one of the few guys actually had that um, has definitely improved over time away from Dortmund and uh, is someone to look out for. But still, I think, uh, as I said before, given what's at stake for both teams, which is everything for Dortmund and pretty much nothing for, for Gladbach, I think the only aim they have for the rest of the season is staying ahead of Cologne and, and obviously having, you know, a, a decent uh, sending of uh, into the summer. Um, I, it's just hard for me to make the case why uh, Gladbach should pose too much of a problem for Dortmund. Obviously, sometimes uh, things happen. And as I said before, Gladbach have the general ability to make things difficult for good teams, but it's just uh, a bit convoluted, in my opinion, to, to make that argument for Saturday evening. All right, last question on Gladbach. Uh, do you think we're uh, going to get to see Dortmund's next left-back in uh, Benza Baini uh, while he's playing on Saturday, or do you think he's not coming? Do I think he's not playing or not coming to Dortmund? Not coming to Dortmund. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's playing. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's been so widely reported that the deal is basically done, so it would be surprising if it didn't come off. Uh, the only thing that makes me hesitate, even in the slightest, is uh, the fact that they're still trying to uh, extend the contract with uh, Rafa Guerrero, and they obviously have uh, Riasson, they have Marius Wolf, they want to sign uh, Ivan Fresneda of Real uh, Valladolid. So at some point there's a, a superfluous uh, fullback situation, but I think they kind of made the deal with Benzabaini at a time when they weren't sure they were going to keep uh, Guerrero and they weren't sure what they had in, in Wolf necessarily and Riazon was still uh, very fresh in Dortmund. So I, I would be very surprised if it didn't come off. But to be honest, uh, I wouldn't entirely be uh, disconcerted if it didn't just because uh, I think if they can keep Guerrero, they still have Riazon, they might get Fresneda, I don't think that uh, it's a huge requirement to also add Benzabaini, but then again, he's a good player. He lost the league uh, quite uh, dangerous in front of goal, so it's not like having him would be a bad thing. All right, fair enough. I mean, there, there are plenty of transfer rumors to discuss, but uh, I feel like at this point of the season, we can also just wait for it to conclude and maybe uh, have a few more facts. In the meantime, though, uh, Matthias, we can discuss the new shirt that uh, Dortmund uh, will don, I guess, next uh, season, of course. It is the fan-voted one, and um, I personally quite like it. It has the uh, one corner of the Westfalen shirt on it, and uh, otherwise it's relatively sleek. Obviously, my favorite Dortmund kit is always just a clean yellow and or a clean black. Uh, but uh, as we all know, I just hardly ever get that. So uh, <laughs> since we discussed it in the pre-pod and uh, you guys were not as uh, psyched as I was, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I like the idea of including the Westfalenstadion in it simply because of the 50th anniversary of the stadium. So that definitely gets a, a bonus point from me. The overall look of it, it's okay. Uh, I, I like this season's um, Bundesliga kit because it's, like you said, it's pretty clean, pretty straightforward. Um, I, I also grew up as a big Dortmund fan in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, the the neons 
are somehow near and dear to my heart. Uh, but no, it's fine. I have no major issues with it. I think if someone's not a Dalton fan, they're not going to understand the reference to the Westfalenstadion. Um, and it won't really, like on a screen on your computer, it looks great in the sense you can really see it. It'll look fun probably on FIFA or Football Manager. But when you're just watching it live, it probably won't come off that great, to be honest. But uh, I do like the incorporation of the stadium. That's what are your thoughts? In theory, I do like uh, the nod to the Westfalen Stadion, as Matthias said, the 50-year anniversary. Um, However. In, in, tw <laughs> in, in 24, so that's a, a nice thought, but just the execution to me is absolutely abysmal. I mean, as as Matthias alluded to, in, in when when players are running around on the pitch, it's going to just look like a black smudge on the pit, on 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 the front of the shirt. Um, I can definitely see already how it's going to clash terribly with whenever they have to wear the yellow shorts. So, for example, they seem to always wear them uh, at Leverkusen. Uh, that's going to look absolutely horrible from from what I can gather right now, because obviously we've only seen you know empty jerseys without uh, players wearing them without the full kit so it, it might be a bit premature uh, of me to be uh, so uh, grossed out almost by the design but I, I just absolutely hate it and I think the the uh, kit contest had a lot of potential uh, a lot of the designs that we've seen even once they haven't actually uh, pre-selected were much better in my opinion of the nine you could vote on there were at least four or five that I liked much better than this. A couple of those were neon, which would have been a nice nod to uh, seasons past as well, especially for the the full season kit because uh, we've only gotten uh, one neon uh, Sonder trikot and one horrendous neon uh, cup jersey a couple of years back, um, which was the worst neon jersey you could design uh, and and actually caused a bit of a ruckus because they forgot or didn't care to put the logo on the jersey at first uh, if if people remember so um i think the idea of the kit contest was great uh but pre-selecting nine uh, might have been a bit too much because it basically means uh that the, the winning jersey might have won with uh, a vote share of i mean we don't have to go extreme like it might have won with like 30 percent that would be probably a, a fairly decent majority but it would also mean that 70 percent of people didn't want it so Maybe they, they should have uh, made a tighter pre-selection or maybe do a couple of rounds of voting or whatever. So Because it's not just me not liking the design. It's a lot of people, uh, at least on social media, obviously, that always happens and would happen regardless of the actual design. But it seems to me there's more pushback than, than normal on the design. I don't like it personally. I think it looks like a cheap t-shirt almost uh, especially with the uh, uh, the upper part just being yellow with a black band around the neck it just looks cheap to me I, i i could go on and on but i don't want to bore people listening to this episode everybody has their own opinions on on jerseys on and and uh, clothing and fashion and whatever but uh, i i really really do not like it well here are my final thoughts on this first of all uh, from the 
pre-selection that we had, uh, I voted for other shirts ahead of this one. And uh, second of all, I don't think Double will produce a really great shirt until we find a better sponsor because the one-on-one -on -one logo is just absolute barf. Uh, first of all, it's a very much not prestigious company, so it kind of like already looks cheap because uh, it gets besmirched by this shitty ass company uh, that is uh, paying Dortmund. I can't, I just cannot take Einstein Eins seriously. I'm sorry. Uh, they have always been a clown show uh, from their very conception. So uh, that is obviously something Dortmund need to fix. And Carsten Kramer needs to find better, maybe more premium sponsors. I don't care, but uh, we need we need a nicer logo on there uh, since it's unavoidable to have one. Um, and uh, yeah, the other part is uh, I do think we're probably going to see the away jersey a little bit more often in games like you said, maybe against Leverkusen and such um, because of uh, the, the, the black part. So might as well go full black uh, anyway in a lot of games, which uh, I... Personally, I'm not against, and uh, yeah, I'm, I guess, looking more forward to the cup uh, shirt edition. But uh, that all being said, um, I haven't purchased it yet, but I will definitely buy this season's home kit um, because I think this is one of the better ones in, in recent years, and uh, I don't really uh, like spending that much money on uh, shirts that I hardly ever wear anyway. So I'm just going to wait for it to go on sale at some point, and then there's that. So, um, yeah. Obviously, uh, this episode, I feel like, is a little bit sort of in-between things because Bayern haven't dropped points, nothing really happened in the table, there's not that much controversy to go over, so this is a bit of a shorter one, but uh, I'm actually quite grateful for it because I have enough stuff to do and I think you guys want to watch Champions League in a little bit. So, um, Lars, <laughs> if you want to promote your book one more time, uh, please go ahead. No, I'm not going to promote my book, which you can buy on Amazon and everywhere else where you can find good books. It's not necessarily, but it is called Unnützes uh, Wissen über Borussia Dortmund. What critics say is the uh, book about Dortmund written by one of the uh, hosts of this podcast, Stefan. <laughs> Very good, very good. Uh, Matthias, do you have any book recommendations? Uh, book recommendations, yes. Uh, Powers and Thrones by Dan Jones. All right, cool. <laughs> <On that note>. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>